Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Today we're going to conclude our, our series on the lies of the enemy. If you were here last week and you're a dad, I'm not sorry, I still mean it, I'm just kidding. Um, today we're going to talk about diversity, uh, diversity, sameness and oneness and diversity. Um, diversity is a thing in our culture. No one living on earth can deny diversity in the created world, uh, humanity or otherwise. But there's a really nuanced lie that's kind of creeping into the world and uh, we want to read the scripture and get into the mud with the lie. And I, I think, I'm not even going to say a lie directly because I think it's important that we recognize if we zoom out, we'll get a sense for how a, a culture around us is attempting to do something that the scripture has never asked us to do. But to do that, we're going to actually just start with the Bible, the words of uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll put them on the screen. You can read them with me. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay. We're going to get to what that means. We live uh, in a mediated world. I'm going to start with, we live in a mediated world. I'm going to explain what that means in a minute. But we have a globalized culture and a mediated world. So to explain that, I want you to do me a favor. I'm not going to ask you to take out your phone again. Um, this time, I would like you to just close your eyes and imagine something for me. Just, just close your eyes ever so briefly. And what I want you to imagine, just imagine a football game. Are you imagining it? When you have it, you know, say or something like that when you got it. Okay, you got it. You can open your eyes. There you go. I didn't expect you to do that. Um, did you imagine this? Is, that, is that what it looked like to you? A football game? Okay. So I asked you to imagine a football game, and you imagined a mediated representation of a football game. This is someone else playing a football game that you're watching through a broadcast, through your screen, beamed over a satellite, whatever. Very few people in the room imagined throwing a football or, you know, playing flag football in college or whatever. Very few of us imagined a football game. We imagined watching other people playing a football game. It's not wrong, but it's a mediated relationship. And this is increasingly the world we live in. We live in a mediated world where most of the things we experience are actually through a medium, a mediator, something in between us. We think of a thing primarily as how we experience it through a screen as opposed to real life. And so a mediated representation becomes reality. So when I say imagine a football game, you don't think of 
playing football. You think of a mediated representation. And so in this modern mediated world, we are served a really homogenous existence, a sameness. So teens in Iowa now dress like teens in New York City because they're all on the same TikTok. They're doing the same dances, wearing the same shoes. College students at UCLA and NYU are listening to the same music. Why? Because the Spotify algorithm has them and knows that they're roughly 20 years old and studying this and so going to watch that. Parents in Bowling Green and Brisbane are all watching Bluey. Yeah, you know. And parents who really like Bluey are feeling all warm and fuzzy right now. I don't know any, I've never seen it. But it's cool, right? Okay, American parents are watching an Australian show. That kind of feels like cool diversity, except it doesn't represent diversity. It represents a new global sameness, just with Australian accents. Everyone on Earth has access to Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola comes to mind. What's their big pitch these days? What are they selling? The way to be unified in our diversity is to consume the world's most ubiquitous drink. Do you want to be unique? Be the same. Global mediated world pushes us towards sameness at every turn. Dress the same, watch the same things, drink the same things, believe the same things, operate the same way. Church isn't exempt, so we're not throwing stones. We're singing songs by Hillsong and Elevation Worship, just like thousands of other churches are singing those songs. There's a handful of Christian influencers that if I pulled the room, whether they're theologians or people that are on your Instagram or your Bible app, that are molding us, that are shaping us. There's nothing wrong with that. Sameness isn't wrong. But sameness isn't unity. And our modern world wants to convince us that sameness of thought, sameness of belief is unity. And that's not true. It's a dangerous implication because when we buy into the lie that sameness is unity, then what we're casually doing it is eliminating the differences that make us truly unique and unified, individually and corporately. Jesus prayed for unity. The scripture pleads for unity. The Bible teaches that full flourishing of the church happens. It takes place when we are most unified. But unity happens when we most fully embrace our differences. Dr. Tony Evans says it this way. He says, oneness does not mean sameness. Okay? So what did the scripture say? God gave us giftedness. There's lots of lists of gifts in the Bible. This is speaking to the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd or teacher. These are kind of different things. But the mix of who we are, both in our giftedness and our context and our background, that's different. We're different all along the way. And we all bring uniqueness. We all have this uh, shaping aspect corporately. So you come from a different background than I do. You come from a different culture than I do, ethnically, racially, socioeconomically, religiously. And we bring all that with us and we mix it up in the soup. And that soup creates the difference that creates the oneness. You ever had a soup made of one ingredient? It's not that good. This church is a really interesting case study in this. Started by young Jesus freaks in their 20s, this church grew out of the bars of Bowling Green. The ministry was happening at Howard's on a Friday night as people were being radically saved and changed for the gospel. 
There are churches that exist that would say that's heretical, that alcohol was in the presence of an evangelist. That can't be. But that's how God grew this place to be what it is, with a, a heart for those who are far from the Lord, no matter what they're into. Created a culture of sacrifice and evangelism, a culture that was outward focused, that wasn't real concerned with what happened on Sunday morning, was more concerned with what was happening on Saturday night. That's the culture of this church. It's a culture of identity based in Christ, a total freedom based in Christ, and that has made some people uncomfortable. The shape of that has changed a bit. It's been 52 years, but while you're less likely to see a bunch of us at Howard's on Friday night, you're still pretty likely to hear that a young person came to faith over a glass of wine or a bourbon and a Bible at an elder's house. And there are people that have left this church going, I don't, you speak about alcohol from the stage and that can't be aligned and I, we have to go somewhere else. And we go, okay. Because there's a church out there for them. Because a different culture with a different upbringing, with a different flavor, with a different conviction about a different non-essential thing isn't bad for Christianity. It's beautiful. When we all get together with our differences and we add all those different spices to the pot, the soup gets better, not worse. My wife grew up in a church that didn't dance or drink. I don't think they did anything. I don't know what they did. I mean, they ran a hell house that you've heard about on television on Halloween where kids would go through the haunted house and at the end would choose hell or heaven. And if they chose hell, I don't know what you did it, they chose heaven. They got to pray their sinner's prayer and they were checked on the box and everybody was happy. And to me, that's so foreign. Because that was her upbringing. I grew up in the Catholic church. I didn't know anything about anything. And yet, here we are together because somehow culturally, God wound us into this place. And she brings this kind of strange sort of fundamentalist background that she grew up in and has, has kind of found her own path. And I find this heavily ritualistic background and we found our own path. And you all bring your own. And yet the beauty is, there were people that were legitimately one for Christ through uh, that ministry. There are people that are still in the ministry that my wife grew up in, and they're finding fullness in him. The same for uh, some of our Catholic brothers and sisters. You go that, I don't always understand the theology, I don't always know where they got it, but I know that some of those people are as faithful as the day is long. And so we don't eschew them, we invite them. We need all the churches, all the flavors. Sometimes we think about it in church size, oh well, smaller is better. You know my favorite church in our region is Cedar Creek. The big 800-pound gorilla of churches. They're my favorite church. Ben, their pastor, is an incredible man of God who I trust and respect. And the ministry they do can't be replicated by almost anyone else in our region. My neighbors are 100% more likely to go to Cedar Creek than they are to come here. Why? It's accessible and it's approachable and I can sneak in and kind of check things out and no one's going to accost me or notice me. I hope if you've been here for more than a week or two, someone has accosted you relationally. <laughs> Should put a tip line up like, hey, if it's not a relational, you know, text help to 60605. Um, I hope you can't exist here for very long with somebody coming up and shaking your hand and wanting to know who you are. That's our DNA. That's our culture. But we need a place for a, a very, very, very distant person to go and say, I'm a little curious about this Jesus thing, and I want something approachable that I can, and I want good music, and I want it to feel right, and I want to sit in a stadium seating, and, and we love that. I begged Ben to bring a Cedar Creek church to Bowling Green. 
I said, can we help you? Can we plant a location here? That old Hobby Lobby would be perfect. Can we give you some leaders? Can we help you with? And he's like, I think not right now. What are you doing? This is weird. Because we need more healthy gospel-centered churches, not less. And we need more variety in them, not less. We need people to embrace uniqueness and diversity. We don't need to become the same. And Jesus calls us to this oneness and this unity. Cults drive people towards sameness. I mean, park this somewhere in the back of that file of your mind. If you go somewhere and they invite you to lead, if I say lead like I do, preach like I do, evangelize like I do, study like I do, disciple people like I do, parrot like I do, husband like I do, I'm inviting you into a cult. Cult leaders want sameness. Jesus asks for uniqueness towards oneness. Sameness is bad for the body. A body does not need 50 toes. That would be weird. 10 will do, right? More than 10, cool. More than 11 or 12, getting pretty uncomfortable. A football team, you just pictured this football game. A football team does not need 11 quarterbacks. Like maybe a linebacker and a left tackle would help. If a football team had 11 quarterbacks, they would lose every game. Why does this matter? Verse 12 and 13, we had up a minute ago. We'll put it up again for you. What does it say? Why do we need this oneness in all of our uniqueness? It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We need our uniqueness and our diversity. We need all of our unique gifting and our unique backgrounds to come together so that we might, if you wondered what the leadership of the church is here for, what my job is, what our elders' job is, our job is to equip the saints to the work of ministry. Guess what the work of ministry is? Everything out there. You're the saints, by the way. We can't do the diverse work of ministry out there unless we're all applying our unique gifts to it. That's why the open table is so brilliant. The open table is bringing a bunch of people from diverse backgrounds into one setting and all of them lending their beauty and diversity towards one person. We don't agree on anything when we're sitting on an open table. We have all kinds of ideas, and yet we're not in charge. The brother or the sister we're serving is in charge, and so we just lend our experience and our expertise, and they go wherever they want. But the beauty of it is we don't come with specific skill sets to hammer home. We're all in it together. We have a variety of problems to solve in the world around us. We need a variety of skills to get there. So some of you in here are serving Habitat for Humanity regularly. Thank you. I would not be good at that. You have skills. You are handy. I am not. So you do an incredible job using your giftedness and your skills and your unique wiring to go and serve those who have a need. The pregnancy center needs a different sort of volunteer. You can show up to the pregnancy center with a hammer and a skill saw, but they're going to be like, maybe not today, you know? Maybe not. It takes different skills to minister to teenagers than it does to seniors. We need differences everywhere. And when we're getting ground into sameness and giving up the differences, the kingdom loses out. We need all the diversity we can get. Different strengths and roles make us better. I would say it this way, the gospel doesn't encourage us to erase our differences, but to embrace them. So just like Cedar Creek will reach people different than we will reach, individuals in the church body will reach different people. 
And we need everyone activated all the time so that we can reach who God has put in our path, that we can fulfill the mission God has given us. So Betty Winslow is going to reach someone different than Cole James. They're in different life stages. They have different networks. They are in different circles. They would even say it differently and do it differently, but they have the same goal. The same goal of, of loving someone into the presence of Jesus, into the kingdom of heaven, of, of bringing heaven as it is, of bringing earth to earth, heaven, heaven, bowling green, bringing earth as it is in heaven, something like that. Cedar Creek and Covenant Church have the same goal and different expressions of it. But we don't do it in uniformity. We do it very different individually. We can do it very different corporately. So Dr. Tony Evans, again, unity is not uniformity. Unity is simply oneness of purpose. Unity is oneness of purpose. Are we in this headed the same way? You and I come from different places and parents, experiences and traumas. Here's a way to think of it. We've all been adopted by God. We have a church that's rich in a history of adoption. So what does that look like? That looks like people coming from different places, different backgrounds, different experiences, and being brought in and made part of a family. We don't erase that DNA. We don't erase those experiences. We don't erase that history. We just include into a new thing with a new purpose. That's the beauty of this. You and I are one as adopted children of the Most High. But it doesn't mean we have to erase the things that made us unique to begin with. So let me come back one more misinterpretation, and then we'll get to the why of all of this. There's a why hanging out at the end. But Galatians 3, uh, verse 26. This is also the Apostle Paul. He writes this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, I bring this one up because this one is used very often in modern days. People will say, see, in Jesus, differences disappear. That's the common argument made out of that verse. In Jesus, all the differences disappear. The class differences are gone. The gender differences are gone. All the differences are gone. And in Jesus, we're all the same now. The male and female one has been used extensively, all sorts of arguments being made there about who can be an elder, whether gender has any importance at all anymore. I saw recently there's a thing, I didn't even know this was real, you can be anti-gender, and I was like, that's funny, and then I went, no, that's tragic. And so I received the video, someone sent me, of a family who's anti-gender, a polyamorous family who's anti-gender, polyamorous, meaning there was three parents, all of whom have fluid genders. I'm not opposed to them. We don't hate them. We need to love them. So make sure you hear that. And these three polyamorous parents have two children. The 10-year-old is non-binary. They don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. And then the three-year-old was non-gendered, meaning we haven't told our three-year-old what the gender is yet. We're waiting for the three-year-old to tell us. And there are people who believe in Jesus Christ who are in this strain of thought because they're saying, look, in Jesus, he's erased all of that. He's allowed us to be totally free. Choose our own adventure. We can go wherever we want with this. It's just not true. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that the differences disappear. He's not saying that men and women cease to be different. It's basic biology, simple psychology, 
hormonally, physically, behaviorally, risk tolerance and aggression, blind studies in labs, and just observing kids on the playground, you can see that there's a difference really quickly. The lie there ignores the scripture while chasing an inequality of type. So what that chases and what our world wants is equality of type, okay? Equality of type rather than equality of value. And we don't know the difference. And so we equate them as the same thing. What they're chasing is an equality of type. See, all the differences are gone. We're the same now. And what we really want in our deepest soul is an equality of value. Paul is saying that the hurdles to faith inclusion The hurdles to knowing Jesus and finding salvation, the hurdles to inclusion in the eternity of heaven, the hurdles for people of differing societal strata, of different races, of different genders, the hurdles for them in Jesus disappear. It doesn't matter what society values you as, in Jesus your value is equal. Everyone can know freedom in Jesus. Jesus comes to redeem all equally. Free men are not more worthy than slaves. Men are not more valuable than women. So I want to be clear to make sure I say it as clearly as we can on what we believe as a church. Women are equally created in God's image, are equally essential to God's plan, are equally loved by God, are equally valued by God, are equally gifted by God. Women, gifted by God for His glory, can lead and do lead every single day at Covenant Church. So people come to Covenant Church and they go, I think they're complementarian. They believe that men and women are different and can lead differently and do different things. And we go, "Uh uh-huh, because we believe the Scripture teaches that. But it doesn't make one better and one less. It doesn't make one greater and one lesser. It doesn't do... The value is equal. The beauty is equal. In our differences, we find oneness. In Jesus, we find equality in value and purpose, not in type. We don't have to be the same to be equally valued. We are not made to be the same. Our differences are not rendered undone. Our freedom from sin is equalized on the cross. Our salvation for eternity is equalized in resurrection. Our identity as children of God is equal. And in Jesus, we find unity, not sameness. Why does this matter? We'll finish here. Go back to Ephesians 4. We finish what we started. He was saying there was one body with different gifting continues there so that... We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, different parts, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, the world isn't totally sure why it wants diversity. It just thinks it's a cool thing to aim for. Just feels right. The Bible is really clear why we need diversity and within that oneness of purpose. Diversity pushes us towards maturity. We need each other as iron sharpens iron. We need each other in all things. I need your perspective. I need your experience. I need it. If I'm going to be fully optimized and you're going to fully be optimized and together we line up and we are together fully optimized, the church of Jesus Christ active and alive in the world today. We need all of us activated in it together. Diversity helps us towards maturity. Maturity grows our Christ-likeness and our love so that we may no longer be children easily deceived and divided by every new scheme. We need diverse gifts and perspectives so that 
God's love might overflow from us. So the world might know God's love through us. That's why we're elder-led and not pastor-CEO-led. Because you don't want one perspective leading the train. You want disagreement, healthy challenging. You want a group of people seeking God together, channeling the Holy Spirit of God together. Not one. One leads to a whole problem. But God said, when you get all together, when the body works together, why are we voting on a new full-time staff person? When the body gets together, when the body has a voice, when the body gets on something, one purpose together, transformation is radical. But we have to be one in it. We have to find unity in the purpose, not in this fake equality of type. We need different backgrounds and voices, different sufferings and experiences so that we might not be deceived because the enemy is clever and the lies are coming fast and furious. And as soon as we dispel one, there's a new one showing up. I learn a new term every week that I didn't know existed and couldn't even have imagined. The enemy is going, oh, you got that one? Watch this one. And our job is to continue to hold each other up, truth in love, truth in love so that we may not be deceived, but instead we would be optimized and activated in the oneness of purpose to know Jesus and make him known. We might grow in maturity. We might grow in love. We might express unity on our purpose together. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you have created us to be different. Father, we celebrate that uh, there's no mistakes in your creation that the beauty of our differences, the, the beauty of the diversity of our experiences, of our backgrounds, Lord, you want to use that. And it's humbling. It's humbling that you would want to use all of our uniqueness. But Lord, I know it, it requires us to be all in together. So Father, as we consider what it means to be a unified church, a people of one purpose, Father, I suppose uh, my conviction, maybe our conviction, is that it requires us to actually be in each other's lives, to lend our perspective and to lend our hands, our knowledge, our uniqueness, to activate and lend ourselves to that purpose. So, Father, for those who are weary in the work, I pray that you would give them strength and endurance to see that their lending of their own self to your work is valuable. Father, for those who feel less than in our community for one reason or another. I pray that they would hear today the words of your scripture that says in Christ we are all equally valuable. Lord, for those on the sidelines that have not yet activated, that have not yet said, I want to be part of this thing, this magical, incredible, transcendent body of Christ. Lord, I pray you would nudge them towards activation. You would nudge them towards using their lives to something that matters. Lord, we desire nothing more than to know you. And then once we know you and as we get to know you better, to be sharing you with everyone we meet in every unique way that might happen. So Father, give us endurance on that journey. Give us strength and boldness as we share you. God, give us conviction that in you we are one. Father, we love you. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.